Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson has been indicted. The grandson and nephew of Chicago mayors is named in charges involving a years-long federal investigation into a failed Bridgeport thrift. The indictment accuses Thompson of taking a series of loans from Washington Federal Savings and not being required to repay them and not repaying them. And Chicago has eased restrictions with new guidelines expanding capacity for indoor dining, conventions, and other venues as more people get vaccinated. But that also creates some logistics issues ahead. Cranes reporters Stephanie Goldberg, Ali Marotti, and A.D. Quigg join me today to discuss. Yeah, I do wonder how much like the social pressure of other people wearing masks works. They were saying the answer is yes, and it's because we need to make sure that people like feel comfortable continuing to wear masks. And if I'm walking by somebody on the street, I don't know if they've been vaccinated or not. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Monday, May 3rd. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Okay, so Chicago has eased restrictions and given some new guidelines, expanding capacity for indoor dining conventions and other venues as more people get vaccinated. That creates some logistics issues ahead. So I'm with Stephanie Goldberg, Ali Marati, and A.D. Quigg. This story touches all of your beats, like all of you come together on this story. Ali, let's start with you and how this impacts uh, restaurants and music venues. Yeah, so restaurants are going to be really jazzed about this because Mother's Day is next weekend, and that is a big day for dining out, obviously. So basically what it's done is it's stayed at 50% capacity, but it's going from 50 people to 100 people per room, which is really helpful for restaurants. You know, there is kind of this faction of restaurants that this isn't going to make a difference for at all because they're still hamstrung by that six-foot social distancing thing. And just depending on how big they are, you know, if they're smaller space, they may not be able to, you know, change anything at all. But it is, you know, it's movement. It's something that will help and they're excited about. With venues, large indoor venues, including the United Center and churches, they can operate at 25% capacity. Meetings and conventions can also do the 25% or 250 people. And then you have outdoor festivals and spectator events, which includes like farmer's markets and stuff that can operate at 25% capacity or 15 people per 1,000 square feet. So you do see some movement there. I think everyone's going to be excited about it, you know, especially with the CDC, you know, ruling that came down. I think it was last week, basically saying that you don't have to wear a mask if you're fully vaccinated and outside. I got to admit, that sort of freaks me out a little bit because I feel like there's going to be people that are not fully vaccinated that do it just because they don't like masks. Well, that's sort of the thing. You know, it's it's sort of like if you're fully vaccinated, there's this idea of wearing your mask just to like perpetuate the mask wearing culture. And if I'm walking by somebody on the street, I don't know if they've been vaccinated or not. So like as a nice Midwestern person, I'm probably going to keep wearing my mask just to make everyone else feel comfortable. Northwestern University put a, a study out about that recently where they were answering the question of should fully vaccinated people continue to wear masks? This was prior to the new CDC guidance, but they were saying the answer is yes. And it's because we need to make sure that 
people like feel comfortable continuing to wear masks. Like if some people start taking it off, like it's going to start this trend. Yeah. I do wonder how much like the social pressure of other people wearing masks works. I know even after the CDC guidance came out and I was walking outside, I was like, do I look like a jerk because I don't have a mask on right now? And I don't have a little hat that says I've been vaccinated. It works for me again, probably for the same nice Midwestern reasons that it works for Allie. But That'll be interesting as far as enforcement, too, if you're someplace outdoors, masked, unmasked. Part of the thing I wonder about as we get close to festival season is, like, is there going to be, like, a wristband? And this kind of gets into, like, the Vax Pass discussion we've been having for the past few days, what that will look like, how it'll be enforced, and if businesses will go along with it. That I mean, that's an issue we've we've talked about before here on the podcast of the idea of enforcement and restaurants just really not having the bandwidth to be, or interest necessarily in like checking everybody's health status when they walk in. Yeah, absolutely. And we talked to music venues this week about that too. And they were sort of like, you know, we're pro vaccines. We are vaccinated. Our staff's vaccinated. We love it. We put up signs encouraging people to get vaccinated, but we don't want the city to put us in between, you know, the event and these people and somehow manipulate them into getting a vaccine they may not want to get. So they were sort of like, this puts us in a weird political position here, which is interesting because you know this is something that the city has said now that basically if you're fully vaccinated, you won't count towards the capacity limit, which the state had said back in March, I guess. But you know, it's something that it could really be a logistical nightmare for these businesses to try to figure out how they're going to implement it. So let's talk about this idea of the Vax Pass that came up late last week. The Vax Pass is something that came up during one of Dr. Arwitty's, um like weekly press briefings, the commissioner of the Chicago Department of Public Health. And it was like said kind of casually, um, which is like the funniest part about it. We all wondered if she shouldn't have said it because it really like led to just a domino of stories all week. She kind of alluded to that um, in a, a subsequent press briefing, too, where she she actually even said like verbatim, like, if I knew that this was going to get so much press, <laughs> I probably would have framed it differently. So I think that's probably telling. I want to make sure people are hearing that um, there will be eligibility for this, even if you already got vaccinated. So you don't need to wait uh, to say, maybe I'm going to have the chance for a concert pass or something I really want to do. Uh, We'll make sure that that opportunity is available to people, regardless of whether they're vaccinated. So I don't want to kind of steal the thunder for the whole thing, but just highlighting this is some of what's coming. Basically, what VaxPass is, for people who might not be familiar, is um, it is something that the city is working on, and we're expecting more information on it this week, um, but we'll tell you what we know so far, it is an incentive program. And so it's meant to encourage people to get vaccinated by offering the promise of, for example, free admission to certain events or, you know, skipping the line to get into a street festival, for example. It it basically is an incentive tool Um, not a requirement. Let me just straight up say this. We are never going to require vaccination for all Chicago residents. That will never be a requirement. But I think increasingly where people are wanting to do things and lower their risk, vaccination is going to be your ticket to doing some of that. And you'll be hearing more about that. The thing that's interesting about Vax Pass is that uh, Arwitty wants to make it very clear this is not a vaccine passport, um, despite it being called Vax past, which we all obviously made the connection to. They sound very similar. Yeah. And one interesting thing I'll be watching, and I'm, I'm guessing uh, our tech reporter, John Pletz, will also be watching is um, what tech solutions there are to figure this out. 
So there are a few places um, using something called the Clear Health Pass app. That's right, right? One yeah. For boarding an airline? Yeah, people will be familiar with it if they've seen it in the in the airport, for example. Yeah, so the NBA is using it. Um, Windy City Smokeout, which is a barbecue and country music festival that Let Us Entertain You puts on every summer, will be using it for admission. It basically, like, it's a little storage app for your vaccination status that links up with certain healthcare providers. So to get into the Windy City Smokeout, you either need to be fully vaccinated or have had a negative uh, PCR test within 72 hours of admission. Um, I'm interested in, in the logistics of that. Um, I was talking to Allie about this, like, are we going to have a vax tent? Are we going to have a PCR tent before you get in if you need like a super duper rapid test? Um, how much space is this going to take up? What kind of staffing do you need to do these checks? Um, it'll be really interesting to watch. And Allie previewed this months ago when the state rolled out that capacity limit change. And it sounds like wedding venues will be kind of the first uh, test markets for this on the small scale. The city's initial announcement was um, private venues can not count vaccinated people toward capacity limits. So I'll be interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, because it's up to them to do it. It's up to the businesses, the city has said, to figure it out. And, you know, that's that's a lot of training for your staffers. Like, how do you use this app? If that's what they end up, if this is what all the businesses end up using. And then there's also like training the customer and the patron that's coming in too. Like, if somebody walks up and they don't know, do they have to download this app? Like, what's it going to look like? I mean, I think just the topic of weddings, we could do a whole other entire podcast about that. So many people that I know have said, oh, that thing we put off, okay, hold this weekend. And I'm like, someone else is already holding that weekend. Like, I think it's going to be the next year and a half is just going to be the wedding, the ongoing wedding party. So I'm declaring it. It is okay to wear the same thing to several weddings in a row. (laughs) I'm already planning to do that. It's funny that you say that because um, during Arwitty's most recent like Q&A that she she has got two of them a week and during the most recent one, she said the number of questions that people specifically ask about weddings (laughs) every single week. I've I've gotten a few press releases too about how like Wednesday weddings are getting popular. (laughs) What? (laughs) Yeah. I I mean, I obviously like Fridays and Sundays, right? But um, yeah, apparently Wednesdays are venues that are pushing it because they're so full on Fridays and Saturdays and Sundays. Plus, they're trying to recoup all the money they lost last year. Wow. Would you guys go to Wednesday wedding? Not with a cranes deadline, no. No, I thought I thought that same thing. <laughs> it's a bad day for us. I mean, like when my grandparents got married, they were like, "Oh, I just put on my best outfit and we went and got married and that was it. And then we, you know, I was like, "Oh, what was it a party?" Did, no, I don't know what day of the week it was. I don't know. Maybe it's just going to return to that where people just like it's more of a legal thing. Yeah. Well, when you walk by City Hall downtown, you, there's always every day of the week there's at least one or two people that you can tell just got married. Yeah. Well, maybe there's going to be a run on city hall weddings because people are just like, I have no idea when we can do this. Okay. So all this is happening. But meanwhile, just last week, we were talking about uh, vaccine hesitancy. So how does how do those two things square? So one of the reasons this relaxing of uh, mitigations is possible is because we've got about 30% of Chicagoans vaccinated. Um, COVID cases, which we were very freaked out about a couple weeks ago, are starting to tick down. Uh, we are now under 5% positivity. Um, the daily seven-day rolling average of cases is down about 15%. Uh, hospitalizations and deaths are stable. Um, but yes, as Stephanie and I reported last week, we're starting to see signs of hesitancy all around the state. Um, 
it seems to be cropping up in Chicago. We had um, a high number of uh, vaccines administered at the beginning of April. And since then, it has ticked consistently down. So we have seen Chicago and Cook County both opening up um, all of their vax uh, sites to walk-ins now. You don't have to get an appointment anymore. There's that Hunger Games period where people were trying to secure appointments is over. And now the ground game hand-to-hand combat of trying to convince people to get vaccinated is playing out now. Um, Part of that is going to be rolling out a series of sweeteners like the city started to do this week to say, hey, if you do this, you get to do that. If you get vaccinated, you get to go in this express line or get preferred seating at events. We might start doing uh, just showing up to places where people are waiting and offering them a shot. So if you're sitting at the laundromat waiting for your clothes to dry, we can give you a shot real quick. Um, And now that Johnson & Johnson is back online, that'll be interesting to see how they roll that out because the whole idea was like reaching people quickly, one dose, they're fully vaccinated in two weeks. Um, but I don't know how long it will take until we get to the levels that we need to to consider this mostly handled. <laughs> I don't know if the, Stephanie can give us a, a healthcare term. I mean, we want to reach that herd immunity level and we're, we're far from it at the moment. I think something like 30% of Chicagoans are fully vaccinated right now. If we do expect everybody that has gotten their first shot to get vaccinated in the next few weeks. We could be at 50, but we need to get closer to 70, 90. All this um, easing of restrictions feels like a giant jump. It feels like a big step. And I, my worry is that with the backdrop of, of vaccine rates and positivity rates, that it's going to feel like, okay, it's handled. It's good. We're fine now. And it's summer and everything's fine. And, and that we're going to backslide. That's my concern. Yeah, not to be a downer. I'm pretty sure I've said this on here before, but a lot of public health experts don't think we're ever going to return immunity. Um, so <laughs> I'll just throw that out there. But but that said, and, I, and I've probably said this exact thing before on here too, but herd immunity is a moving target. It is not something that you achieve and then you are set and, you know, quote, everything is handled. So it's, you know, it'll be interesting to see, like, once we do hit a, a point where a higher percentage of people are fully vaccinated, like, that could be around the time we start seeing booster shots rolled out. So like, it's going to be very important that people stay diligent. Um, And for now, at least we will remain optimistic. Well, that has happened repeatedly. Heather Sharon at WTTW did a very good story that was like, every few months, the mayor and her health commissioner will roll out an easing of mitigations. And every time, about three or four weeks later, we start to see cases on the rise again. This time is different because we have people that are vaccinated but we are going to have to be diligent and careful and continue to watch the numbers as we ease stuff up. And as maybe that social expectation of folks to wear masks eases up, there is still a lot that could go wrong. The promising thing is uh, in recent weeks, even as cases have gone up here, the oldest population in Chicago has been far less affected, far fewer hospitalizations, far fewer cases because their vaccination rates are so high. So, I think there's less of a worry about what we saw last spring. There's a lot of old people getting sick and dying, but now we're hearing about young people getting sick and hospitalized. And there's still so much we don't know about the long-term effects of COVID that people should still be pretty freaked out about catching COVID. Stuff could still go very wrong for you. It's still a scary virus. And of course we have these variants that might make it easier for you to get infected, pass it to others and for kids to get infected. Right. There's a lot to consider. Okay. Well, I want to shift here to um, stories that were not on your beat necessarily, but that caught your attention this week. My three, I'll give you, I'll start with those while you're thinking. 
Uh, my first one is highly related, and that is I can't stop constantly refreshing stories and reading about what's happening in India and how it's just playing out there so horribly and tragically. But then on the lighter side of things, I thought there was a really interesting tech story this week about how um, Christiansburg, uh, Virginia, is piloting a program to deliver Girl Scout cookies by drone through Wing, an affiliate of Google. I was a Girl Scout. I'm very into this story. I'm excited about it because, look, schlepping cookies was hard work. Of course, it's easier now because social media, but, you know, you had to go you had to go door to door and then you had to go back and deliver all the cookies. So how do you – do you still order them from an actual Girl Scout and then they're like, your drone will be here? Um, is anybody else, like, begging for a Troop Beverly Hills reboot right now with drones? Can we get this going, please? Okay, that's the best idea I've ever heard. <laughs> Amazing. All right. So I got Girl Scout cookies by drone. And then of course, um, the Kentucky Derby. It's I'm into I'm fascinated by horse racing, because I look at it like running data, like when was the last time that horse ran? And what did they do? And then you look at weather because you have to look at um, because everybody here's why it's feminism. It's horse feminism. No, everybody looks at the sire. And they're like, this is what kind of athlete that horse was. And here's who trained them. And here's what he won. But no one ever looks at the mare. The mare is the disposition. So you go, who is that horse's mother? And what did she like to run in? And if she was a good like mutter and she ran in slop, like a slop track really well, and she didn't mind rain on her face, that horse is going to be fine if it rains in Kentucky. But if she didn't, if she was like in a, if she was in a sunny area, if she like, there's a lot of horses in Egypt. So if she was in Egypt, she's going to be pissed with that Kentucky weather. And that horse is going to be like, no, I don't want to, I don't like this. I don't like the rain on my face. So this information is all out there. They're like, this horse was born of this mom who was a Gemini. (laughs) She likes apples. At the Kentucky Derby Museum, they have like these vast walls of like family trees for all the horses and the winners. It's the whole thing. And then your racing form, when you get it, it's got all this kind of data and it'll say like the last, um, like the last few races, how they did, what happened. Then you left to look at like, who's the trainer? What's that trainer known for? Is that trainer known for pushing horses too far? That's when the horses get hurt on the track. It's a fascinating thing. I'm super into horse racing. One of my proudest moments on WGN, I used to go right after a sports show and it was always a bunch of men who just thought I was like, oh, that's this nerdy girl that talks about nerdy things. Who cares? And they were, you know, not mean to me, but they were just dismissive of anything I had to add. And they were talking about the Kentucky Derby and they were getting it so, so wrong. And then so you just wrong. like slammed into the studio and you were like, you idiots. Let me tell you the commercial what. break before I was even supposed to go in. I was like, guys, I'm telling you, Animal Kingdom is going to win and he's going to, this is why. And I laid it all. I was like, the mayor did this and it is going to rain like hell all day. Usually it clears by the 13th race. It is going to rain all day in Louisville. And that horse is going to win because he loves to, he loves cold. He loves rain and he loves mud. That is your horse. And they were like, yeah, whatever nerd. And that horse won. And I was there and I bought a bottle of champagne and it was fun. That's awesome. What you got? Um, okay, so my three are this. The first one's really tiny, but for some reason, I got really excited about it when I saw it. But the water taxis are coming back. <laughs> it's big, big news. So are all the other, you know, tour boats downtown. Um, the river walk has opened, all of that good stuff. And then I've also been really fascinated with like all the developing stories around the announcement that came out. I think it's been over a week at this point, but 
um, that Americans may be able to travel to Europe because it was really interesting. Our colleague John Plutz did a story a few days after that United searches for flights to Europe like spiked 20%. And then all these subsequent stories have come out being like, well, okay, you can maybe go to some of these countries, but you're going to need like a negative test and proof of a vaccine. And then when you get there, you're going to stay in your hotel for 24 hours. And at that point, I think it's hilarious because people are like so jazzed to get out of their homes and abroad that they're like willing to shack up in a hotel or risk being stuck in a foreign country or having to deal with like a foreign healthcare system to get a COVID test, which seems like really stressful and a logistical nightmare. Um, so that's the second one I've been watching. And then my third one is totally wacky. And I shared it in our company Slack channel yesterday because I it made me so happy to see. But um, in Denmark, there are these cellists that have been going to play for these cows. And the cows, it's so great. The picture alone is like awesome. But there's like, I mean, obviously there's people that work on the farm and live on the farm that they're playing for as well. But the cows apparently just love the music and they can tell that the cows like certain composers and don't like certain composers and it's just a really great adorable story and i love it that reminds me of that great video of the mariachi band playing for the beluga whale at the zoo have you guys seen that or the the piano player um playing for the elephant and the elephant starts to sway i know i love that stuff i think there's a violin too it's so beautiful i love it animals know um stephanie what you got all right mine is about kanye obviously Stephanie is on the healthcare and Kanye beat. This is about Kanye and Walmart. Walmart, um, I'll cite the Bloomberg story, um, although this has come up in a couple places now, but Walmart has filed a complaint over a proposed trademark for Kanye's Yeezy brand, which I know you all know. I think this is so funny because you know, like the Walmart logo, logo, um, I forget what they call it, but it's like the, it looks like a little sun, like the little, the little like an asterisk almost yeah so kanye wants to do one that's like dots <laughs> like that but dots what a nuance <laughs> yeah i mean i don't know i'm torn here i know i'm not supposed to be giving my opinion i'm just supposed to be sharing this news story but i feel like i just want does that does that feel too similar to you guys like i don't know they seem different to me i'm obviously not an attorney <laughs> so i would say um like part of Part of this to me is like, are you trying to reach the same audience? And the answer is no. Like Yeezy stuff, it's like $600. Yeah, these are people who are like refreshing the Adidas website, like waiting for like a new, you know, whatever to drop. And I don't think those are the same people that are going to be like going to Walmart to try and find a pair of sneakers, right? I don't know. This seems like a different audience. Like, is it a copyright issue or trademark issue? It's a trademark yeah, issue. That's yeah, that's definitely what the lawyers look at in stories I've written about those types of lawsuits. It's like, is there going to be confusion in the marketplace? And it seems so like- So that's actually exactly what the company said. They, they said, this is a quote, it's likely to cause confusion and lead to consumer deception. And I kind of feel like it won't. I mean, last time I checked, you couldn't buy Yeezy stuff at Walmart. No, but you should be able to buy Yeezy stuff at Gap in the near future. He had that deal with Gap not long ago. You're not wrong. Correct. There's also, I guess, maybe the confusion that could come with just like online purchases where it's like you buy everything online. So, is you know, who are you reaching there? Is it everyone? I don't know. I don't know what the school of thought is there. That's going to be an interesting one to see how that gets how that gets decided. Yeah. It's one I'm going to be watching closely. Follow my reporting for this, guys. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I will not be reporting on this. Look elsewhere. 
Um, I really enjoyed, I don't know if enjoyed is the right word. Uh, Maya Dukmasova did a, a big deep dive on carjacking data. We all remember this became kind of the crime story du jour a few months ago. Um, there was a narrative that juveniles were leading carjacking cases and essentially running amok. I can't summarize it because she really, she really dug in, but basically um, the narrative that, that went public was based on a very limited amount of data. So that's, that's one. And that fits into kind of the broader, what the heck happened with Chicago crime this past year. So I encourage everybody to go over to the reader and check that one out. It was also in the M10. If you don't subscribe to Crane's M10, you're missing out on interesting stories like this. I also enjoyed Steve Daniels write up about a pending bill in Springfield that would basically clear the way for cryptocurrency to act as like a normal banking system here. I'm just fascinated in the incredible speed and rise of crypto and people having fun on Reddit, banking on stuff like Tootsie Roll. Watching market and banking stories like this that intersect with the web to me is like a a trend story. I, I don't think it's even like stuck in my brain as a real life exchange of goods and money. So maybe getting normalized here will help me figure out actually how cryptocurrency works and Bitcoin. My third one, a fun one, uh, Hannah Gadsby, who's an Australian comedian I like very much, wrote a first person essay in Vanity Fair about why she switched her entire wardrobe to the color blue. She's on the autism spectrum and says it, it basically cuts down on decision making and she can still remain sharp. But she also writes about how certain kinds of clothing feel and and once she figured out that um, certain clothes, like the stitching at the ends of your socks, like right above your toes, she said it, it bothered her all day on like a low level. And once she found seamless socks, she was like, I, it eased a lot of pressure for me. And she also talks about having uh, uh, tailored pants because she doesn't like um, unexpected like touches on her body. I love hearing about the way people decide how to dress. But for her, it's like a, it's a whole different level because she's on the spectrum. And maybe we should all just switch our wardrobes to blue. Maybe it would make things easier. Lightning round. What color is everybody's wardrobe, monochromatic wardrobe? Mine's black because I can't do without like all of my favorite concert t-shirts, which are all black. Mine's probably like, yeah, mine's probably like a rusty color. Magenta, like various shades of magenta, purple. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I'm already there anyway. But then I'd be really, I'd be like annoyed in the springtime when I'm like wearing a fall color though. I don't know. I have to think that through. (laughs) We don't even fade out on like um, idle chatter at the end. We're like at Chicago tonight, they're like, so the White Sox. And then everyone like chit chats about the White Sox. They're like, do, 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 do. I'm Danny Ecker, and I cover commercial real estate at Crane Chicago Business. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Coming up in today's top stories, Amazon is spending $1 billion to increase worker pay. The raises, which are going out to more than 500,000 hourly employees, are designed to juice hiring in the company's fast-growing logistics division. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Here's a great way to stay in touch with Crane's Daily Gist. Subscribe to the Crane's Morning 10. It's our daily newsletter featuring the 10 biggest stories of the day. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com slash morning 10. 
Alderman Patrick Daly-Thompson has been indicted in the years-long federal investigation into the circumstances behind the failure of a Bridgeport thrift that the feds have said was caused by large-scale fraud. Thompson, who's the grandson of Mayor Richard J. Daly and nephew of former Mayor Richard M. Daly, was charged in an indictment released late last week of multiple counts of lying to federal bank regulators about loans he'd obtained from the now-defunct Washington Federal Bank for Savings. Reporter Steve Daniels has the story for Cranes. The indictment accuses Alderman Patrick Daly Thompson of taking a series of loans from Washington Federal Savings, the very low-profile bank in Bridgeport that failed suddenly in late 2017 amid a swirl of allegations of massive fraud within the bank. Taking those loans out and not being required to repay them and not repaying them from 2012, 2013, and 2014 when he took the loans to late 2017 when the bank collapsed. He later uh, repaid them once the the bank had failed, uh, at least that's what he says, but the Fed said, A, he he did not report the income uh, to the IRS, and he also, in some cases, wrote down mortgage interest uh, from these loans that uh, he hadn't paid at all. The alderman himself adamantly denied that he'd done anything wrong, uh, that uh, any issues had been inadvertent, and that he had taken care of all of it before any federal investigation had begun. He's going to fight the charges, he says, and he will continue to serve as 11th Ward alderman. In a unanimous vote, the City Council Transportation Committee advanced a measure that would change the name of Outer Lakeshore Drive spanning from Hollywood Avenue to East 67th Street to now be called DuSable Drive after the Black Explorer and City Forefather. The ordinance was originally introduced in October 2019 by Alderman David Moore of the 17th Ward, who said few recognize DuSable as the city's first permanent non-Indigenous settler. The name change could come as a direct introduction before a vote of the full city council next month. Moore's ordinance calls for the change to take effect within 30 days of its passage. Renewed consideration of the change comes after months of protests over racial justice and a nationwide reckoning over monuments and symbols. The Transportation Committee didn't get into a proposal Mayor Lori Lightfoot had floated earlier to rename the city's Riverwalk after DuSable, the park just south of Navy Pier that Lightfoot described as the unfinished DuSable Park, first contemplated by Mayor Harold Washington in the 1980s. The mayor said she would move forward with that plan. DuSable is already the namesake of DuSable High School, the DuSable Museum of African American History, and a park and bridge downtown. Boeing is facing an audit to determine why changes in its manufacturing practices on the 737 MAX led to a hazard that went unnoticed for almost two years. The FAA, which oversees Boeing and has given out several civil penalties against the plane maker in recent years, said in a statement on Thursday that it was also investigating the origin of the manufacturing flaw. More than 100 737 MAX jets around the world, including 71 in the U.S., have been voluntarily grounded while Boeing figures out how to fix an issue with electrical components that weren't properly grounded and could create a safety hazard if they fail. 
Boeing said in a statement that they're working closely with the FAA and its customers to address the electrical flaw, saying, We look forward to ongoing engagement with and direction from the FAA as we continuously improve safety and quality in our processes. The flaws in the electrical components raise new questions, though, about Boeing's ability to monitor safety issues within the company. The lack of a robust internal safety review and oversight system was cited repeatedly by multiple reviews of the two fatal 737 MAX crashes that led to a 20-month grounding of the aircraft around the world. And issues with the 737 MAX continue to mount. The European Aviation Safety Agency on Wednesday issued a directive saying CFM International Leap 1B engines on planes that were grounded for an extended period may have corrosion that could affect the throttle controls and need to be inspected. Amazon is increasing pay for more than half a million of its hourly workers, spending $1 billion on pay increases designed to encourage hiring at the company's fast-growing logistics division. The raises, which range from $0.50 cents to $3 an hour for most workers, will take effect in May and June. That according to a vice president in Amazon's Human Resources Group in a note posted to Amazon's corporate blog, who also said the company was hiring for tens of thousands of jobs across its logistics operations in the U.S. The hiring spree coincides with a rapid expansion of the company's warehousing and distribution unit to deal with the pandemic-fueled surge in online orders and to cut delivery times. It also follows Amazon's defeat of a union drive to organize an Alabama warehouse. Some union organizers made the case that while Amazon's $15 an hour starting wage was lucrative compared to local cashier jobs, it wasn't as favorable for the logistics industry. Amazon CEO Jeff Bezos told shareholders after the lopsided union election that the company would work to, quote, do a better job for employees. Amazon warehouse workers around the country have reported being asked to work mandatory overtime in recent weeks, potentially a sign Amazon's having trouble filling positions to meet demand. The company's also offering workers in some warehouses a $500 bonus if they refer friends and family members who ultimately accept jobs with the company. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's trio of guests, Stephanie Goldberg, Ali Marotti, and A.D. Quigg. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.